Kate. Hey, Kim. Hey, Ivy. Nice to see you, ladies. We want to welcome everyone to season number two. We are so excited about another chance to share talks with informative, inspiring practitioners and experts, all in the field of education. This season, you'll hear interviews from Carol Jago, Penny Kittle, Ernest Morell, and our very own CNUSD Superintendent, Dr. Michael Lynn, and more. Our second season is sure to ignite the minds of teachers, administrators, and parents alike. In today's episode, you'll hear from the amazing Pam Allen. Pam is the founding director of Lit World, a global literacy initiative serving children across the United States and in more than 60 countries. Our colleague Anne-Marie arranged our very first Skype interview with the author and literacy expert, and I know Anne-Marie was giddy that day to speak with her education idol. I think all of us may have been a little bit giddy that day. Oh, we sure were. Let's hear what they have to say. Hello, everybody. We have here with us the wonderful, amazing, inspiring, I'm a fan, Pam Allen. So before we begin, I was just hoping maybe you could share your professional journey with our listeners to see how you became, um, they could understand how you became such a literacy advocate. Well, thank you. First of all, thank you for having me on. This is so wonderful that you're doing this. Um, and you guys are amazing. Uh, I, I've been, you know, when I really look back and I think about uh, my work and the sort of professional journey, it's uh, a very natural f- flow from the time I was very young. Um, I just so much love to read. I love to be read to. I loved, I had writing notebooks and writing journals and I kept little notes under my pillow and I, I was just a very, um, very much entranced by the world of words as a child. And my parents, I was very lucky because they, they really steeped me in that um, from the minute you know, I can have a, a conscious memory. It had to do with books. Um, and it had to do with this sort of idea that stories really matter. I was always listening to my grandparents' stories and my father's stories from his childhood. My, um, my mother was a great listener. She, my dad was a great storyteller. And um, my, my life then, when I began to think about teaching, um, was my fir- I have to just say, I don't want to take too much time with this, my first year of teaching... I was so naturally drawn to the whole power of reading and the read aloud and this kind of, I remember we made plays and we wrote musicals and we made poetry books and we made, it was like everything I was doing that I learned when I went to graduate school is like a really good pedagogy. It was (laughs) just what I was doing, Mm -hmm. you know? Yes. Um, That's why I do love this pedagogy that we all believe in because it was so natural. I mean, I don't think that, I have to admit, I do still feel a pang for that first year because I don't think my kids did much math. Oh, well. <laughs> we all want to apologize to our first year students. Yeah. They're really low in the math, yeah. <laughs> but they're very high in the literacy. Right. And uh, everything I did that year was really, was before I went to graduate school. And from that point forward, I knew that I was going to have a path that put literacy in the front because I saw the way the kids used their literacy to become more of who they were. Right. Um, so my professional journey from working with uh, Lucy Calkins at Teachers College, she was my first re- real mentor wow. and is still a great friend of mine. Um, 
but from there, I, I started my own uh, organization, Lit Life, and then Lit World in 2007. Uh, I felt like, you know, I am an entrepreneur. I feel like a literacy entrepreneur. Like, I want to make things happen really fast, and I want to... That feeling that I had as a child, I want that feeling for every child. It was a... Reading was a source of great comfort for me, and a real source of, of social community with my family, and, um, and so it's a very... It's a pattern that makes sense, and I often tell young people right out of college or in college, they come to me to say, how did you do that? You know, and I say, I really did follow my heart. I think my, my journey and my path, when I started Lit Life and then Lit World, it was uh, kind of all clicked, you know, that we could make out of this pedagogy a kind of a movement of teachers and kids uh, that could spread really far and wide. When you came to our... Um, CNUSD Literacy Conference. One of the things that you said was reading is like breathing in and writing is like breathing out. And then the other idea was that our libraries, you know, whether they're our classroom libraries or our school libraries, they should really be the mirrors, mirrors and windows for our students. So I was wondering if you might be able to explain a little bit more what you mean by those statements. Yeah, and I think those two things go really well together because I do think that we are in, like, as a humanity, we're really absorbing a world of language, multi-languages all the time. The child um, growing up at home is hearing the sound of the parent or grandparents' voices wash over them from the time they're born. And so the idea of breathing language in, reading, and then breathing language out, writing, doesn't always mean that you're reading a poem and then writing a poem. Sometimes, for example, when you look at a great uh, a president who's a great writer, like President Lincoln was a great writer, President Roosevelt was a really great writer, President Obama is a great writer, they're not necessarily writing poetry, mm -hmm. they're writing speeches with their speechwriters, mm -hmm. but you can see that they've read a lot of poetry because they're breathing that in and then they breathe it back out. You see that they've read a lot of history, so they're, they're echoing a lot of other people in history. Um, President Obama did that when he gave his second inaugural address. Mm -hmm. he, he, you can hear him echoing President Lincoln's inaugural address, so it's very interesting, and I'm fascinated by that because I think that truly literate people are doing that all the time. And it doesn't always have to be something, uh, you know, very serious. So, for example, you know, I always tell teachers I love People magazine. It's like my favorite <laughs> reading material. Um, and it's not, you know, I admit it, it's not like the writing is so lengthy or there's a million difficult words, but the way they write is very good and very powerful. So, you know, when I read that kind of writing in and then I go to make a tweet or I post on Facebook, it's a quicker form of writing, it's kind of sharp, it's punchy, and that helps me. You know, right. it wouldn't probably help me as much to be reading the Gettysburg Address, although that's pretty short, but you know, <laughs> Anna Karenina, when I'm trying to make a Facebook post, right? It, it, so it's it's breathing in the world of words and then breathing out your own. Right. You put oh. them in a different form. And then the mirrors and windows, I think, is kind of similar in that I think we are always, you know, as for our children, I think our obligation is to make sure that what they're breathing in is actually not only what they see out there in the world and the, the kinds of things they want to read about and all this wonderful information they can read, but also that the mirrors are that they can say, wait a minute, that's me in that book. Like when I was a kid and I read Anne of Green Gables and I knew immediately she was me and 
and I was her, mm-hmm. we were both really feisty, but also a little bit like, you know, shy in a certain way and trying to figure out some stuff. We love to be friends with people. Those kinds of things. I said, this is who I am. This is me. Like, I found myself here. And then the window is the sort of looking out into the world and saying, that's maybe somebody I could become. Mm-hmm. Or maybe not anybody I've become, but something that's going to make me touches me when I look out into the world and I say, hey, there's a whole big world out there. So I think the breathing in of all of that kind of reading, it's the breathing in of the mirrors and windows. It's breathing in the kind of reading you do because you want to be less lonely or the kind of reading you want to do because you want to learn something. And then when you breathe it out and you are someone who's writing in the world, whether it's on social media or writing an essay or writing a love letter, mm-hmm. you know, you're the kind of person who is now encouraged by all those mirrors and windows within you to say, you know what, I'm going to put that out into the world for someone else. Like, I might be someone else's mirror. Right. I might be someone else's window. One of the things I think we have to make a commitment to in our classrooms is to make sure our commute, our classroom libraries reflect that mirror and window library, that it's not a library that's just the books that I read when I, in the 1980s, but it's, you know, a library <laughs> that reflects right now and right. all the different wonderful things. And that's one of the great things I love about the Black Lives Matter movement because I think it's really helped uh, publishers to really start stepping up and really making sure that really diverse voices are represented in the classroom libraries. And it's right. um, very important, very important. And authentic, our- authentically represented. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Authentically represented mm-hmm. and also dynamically represented. Mm-hmm. You know, that right. we are a very multicultural world and that is a blessing for everybody. And so the, our classroom library, just, you know, when teachers say, well, I say, do you have classroom libraries? And they might say, oh, yeah, we bought those in, you know, 1991. And I say, no, you know, so many more books have been published. We need to make sure that we're keeping that fresh because that's really, the mirrors and windows are changing and growing all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned classroom library, so this is sort of just a, a question that I know our listeners or our teachers would have. Um, but I think we have this vision, or at least I did, you know, when we come out of credentialing school and you enter your classroom, there is inevitably going to be this classroom library that's overfilling, you know, flowing with books. And then you walk in sometimes to the reality, and that is not so the case. So um, I'm wondering if you might offer any sort of quick, you know, tips or resources that teachers that are seeking to grow their library um, would be might be able to use? Yeah. Well, I have three tips for that. Okay. One is, um, and this seems kind of simplistic, but it's really important, and that is to advocate to your administrators how important that classroom library is. It's not a supplement. It's not the thing you do on Friday afternoons, because I do sometimes think that there's not a very rich understanding sometimes about when a teacher asks for classroom libraries, it's not just so she can, you know, or he can have kind of an easy day on a Friday afternoon. It's part of our instruction. So that's one thing is to really advocate, show the research on independent reading, show the research on the read aloud to your administrators to say, we need to fight for this because Every single study shows that the more books, authentic books, that kids have access to, the better they do in school. So if you want to ask me what I think the best test prep is, it's the classroom library. So that's one. The second tip is 
um, that I do think we don't do enough um, curating of our classroom libraries. Like we kind of get a heap of books, mm -hmm. we put them in, we notice the kids are reading like a corner of those books. Right. And so that's to say that every quarter, mm -hmm. um, to invite your kids to be part of the, the curating of the library, redo the baskets, have your kids relabel the baskets, yes. because the book that was sitting there in the frog basket you know, it might not be that interesting to this kid who doesn't really like frogs, right. but when it's recataloged into the nighttime scary book basket, now that's a book he really wants to read. So that's number two, is this constant curation okay. and inviting the kids to do it with you. And then the third thing about um, sort of building your classroom library is that we, um, I really love um, Scholastic Points. Um, I really love the fact that, uh, you know, that you can... Um, you know, make a like a kind of once a month Friday afternoon um, book swap event with teachers where you can take a third grade teacher, take some third grade teachers and fourth grade teachers, don't stay on the grade level, but swap at different grade levels so that okay. you bring more higher level books in and also lower level books in. Um, and let, you know, let those swaps happen so teachers aren't so proprietary. I mean, I know there's special books that we all love mm -hmm. as teachers. We don't want to, but I think there's, there's a bulk of our grouping of books that we don't mind sharing right. and flowing back and forth. So those are three quick ways that I think, but it's an ongoing process. Right. I mean, I feel like you're never done with the classroom library. No, and that's I, what we want our administrators to know. Right. I was never done. That that always was a that's a job in a lot of elementary it school is. classrooms is librarians to, to work on that. So it is and also I would say about that is that the, the classroom some teachers are just like my, my colleague Jamie is so good with classroom libraries. So whenever I'm putting a classroom library together, she's my go-to person. Mm -hmm. And you know, every school has a couple of these amazing, brilliant minds with library, classroom library design, how yes. it looks, um, also what books are must-haves, and really tapping into those people and making them famous in the school. Um, you mentioned that you have two organizations. So you started Lit Life, and then you also started an organization, Lit World. So if you wouldn't mind sort of explaining what the mission of Lit World is and how might a teacher um, become involved? Yeah, so when I started Lit Life in 2002, it was really, and it is to this day, very focused on teacher training and professional development. And as I started writing a lot of books and traveling for that work, um, I started to notice that we could actually really mobilize entire communities in fact, I now call them lit cities because I was like, you know, I think we could really, we could not just in school, but in all the outside parts of the school day and before the school day and during the lunchtime of the school day, we could make literacy a lot more central than we're currently doing. Mm -hmm. And so Lit World's focus is really on those out-of-school time hours, mm -hmm. and the focus is also on bringing those best practices that teachers are already using into those out-of-school time hours and then bringing them back. So Lit World is now really focused on closing the summer literacy gap. We have one of our signature programs is called Lit Camp, mm -hmm. and we had 60,000 kids participate in Lit Camp last summer. Oh, that is awesome. Amazing. Yes. I want every school district in the United States to be doing Lit Camp by next year. Okay. Uh, we hear so, you. <laughs> please help me yes. with that. 
And we, um, and then we have lit clubs, which are after school or during lunchtime uh, opportunities for t for people to run clubs that are focused on literacy and help us to connect all of our kids all around the world. So if teachers are interested in getting involved, there are two main ways they can get involved. Okay. One is by being active uh, members of our community in either running a lit club or um, actually helping us with our advocacy days, like World Read Aloud Day. Mm -hmm. um, and by, by coming to litworld.org, we can tell you how you can go about doing that. And we provide all the content, and we do lots and lots of trainings on video Skype, and it's amazing. Okay. Um, the second way is that teachers can do, help us at LitWorld because we're serving... We're really looking at communities that aren't necessarily where the kids aren't getting a lot of quality after school opportunities or summer opportunities. So we're also looking at, you know, making sure every kid gets access, no matter their zip code. So what teachers have often done for us is help us to fundraise also. So we had, this was kind of a cool idea. We had a couple of teachers do something where the kids brought in a, a book they liked and then they sold the book. Everyone brought a dollar. Okay. And then they sold the book to their friends. <laughs> awesome. Yes. And then they gave us the money. Okay. The win-win. Yeah, I was going to say that sounds perfect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's an amazing idea. Lit swap. Yes. Um, and everyone goes home happy. And the kids really get to think about there are kids around us who don't have a lot of books. And kids around the world who don't have a lot of books. Mm -hmm. um, and then finally... Um, you know, sort of taking it a step beyond fundraising, we have um, opportunities for kids to video Skype with each other and read aloud to each other from country to country. So that's, we also love that too. We do a lot of that on our advocacy days. So if teachers listening would like to be part of that, that's at litworld.org. You know, my heart truly expands a little every time I hear Pam mention how books should serve as mirrors and windows. I admire that she has stayed so focused on literacy, literacy for students across the country and across the world. Well, thank you for joining us again this season. Check out our show notes and be sure to check out LitWorld at www.litworld.org. We highly recommend Every Child a Super Reader, written by Pam and future season two CNUSD EdChat guest, Dr. Ernest Morrell. We would love for you to connect with us as usual, and we want to reach out to you. So please leave us some questions or comments. You can use Facebook, Twitter, and now guess what? We're on Instagram. So share how you were inspired by one or more of our episodes. See you next time. Bye. Take care. If you would like to comment on their podcast, go to cnusd.k12.ca.us slash edchat. And be sure to follow them on Twitter and Facebook at CNUSD EdChat to let them know which topics you are interested in. This episode is co-produced by Ivy Ewell Eldridge, Anne-Marie Cortez, Kim Kemmer, and myself, Kate Jackson, and is edited by Michael Hughes and Ivy Ewell Eldridge.